welcome to another episode of Fans in Motion. As Andy would say, the podcast that you didn't know you needed. As I would say, the ultimate Night Ranger podcast. Joining myself and my esteemed colleague, Brent Walter, is we sometimes will build up our guest. And sometimes it's true with how we build it up. Sometimes it's not. But... um I think this might be the most like prestigious we've had on this episode. And we're going to see hard, the hardware you see behind him. That's shit he has left over, right? That's like, I couldn't get those in my cases. That's my, you know, that's my paperweight. But joining us is the city, the Center City Film and Video um, Executive Vice President and Senior Director. I'm going to steal some of those titles, by the way, for this podcast. Um, Mr. Brian Isley. Brian, thank you for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, if you don't know Brian's name right off the top in the Night Ranger world, you've definitely seen his work. He's done Night Ranger videos in the past. Uh, we've shared his photos on the social media. And the reason why he's on here today is everybody's enjoying this video and guess who was the man behind it? Now, your first guess is probably me, and that would be a good <laughs> guess. But it's actually Brian and his uh, his film company. So, uh, Brian, thank you for taking the time to uh, join us. Hey, we appreciate thank, it. Thank you so much. It's been nice seeing you on the road. And, yeah. Uh, I think we, what, we met in what? Uh, Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, that was a oh, good show. Man. There was Everybody was there. Uh, except for Brent. House, yeah. house was packed yes and they loved it i mean yep. th that was a great crowd <clears throat> that's what i kind of joke about with people it's like you know at, the, at this point i'm i'm using night ranger to be able to get like all access to the, all these old venues i want to go to yeah um you know so uh when they i saw they were playing the rhyme i'm like i'm definitely going to that you know obviously you see night ranger but you know, i want to go in all the places and see yeah. if I can find the ghost of Roy A. Cuff and all that, that stuff. So yeah, it was a, uh, that was a good trip. Um, but uh, the feedback that every, I mean, this thing right here. Yeah. All right. We, as when I say we, the Night Ranger fans, the community, we are all stoked with this, rec this recording and the video. Um, the video like is phenomenal thank you just all the different camera angles and when you watch it the first time you're like you see one something and then you watch it again you see another and like this last time i just watched it there was a cool angle it's almost like someone was walking through row three and you yeah. see heads in front of you and i can tell you who the camera went it was john cohengetter was, like, was that camera guy and i was like that's a cool angle you don't see that too often yeah. right um so you know there's it's just amazing that 40 plus years into you know night ranger's career and brent's been there since the beginning and i've been there for almost 40 years we're still getting great quality stuff like this so i just want to thank you for well, putting out a Great I'll tell you, that, that project was so much fun to work on. And uh, I was stoked when they asked me to get involved. 
and it took a lot of work. I mean, it took a lot of preparation. I had to, had to come up with camera plot plans to make sure we had coverage for everybody, every solo, every drum roll, every vocal. And um, it, it was it was a neat process to go through. And the band was so collaborative, um, totally collaborative. It was really a collaborative effort. Um, I can't say collaborative so much, but it really was. And um, everybody, everybody from Ed, who was fantastic, to James Blades, to the, the band members were great in, in, in working together in making sure that we got the best stuff. Because we had to light it differently than a normal concert. You know, we had to bring up the overall fill light mm -hmm. so that the cameras would be balanced and they wouldn't be dipping off into shadows and bright spots and being oversaturated and stuff. Well, we'll get we're going to get all into, you know, how you first got into the project, other projects that you've worked on with Night Ranger. But where where did all this kick off for you? Where were you born? Where were you raised? Yeah. You know, where how did this whole thing uh, get going? You know, it's, it's funny. I was born and I was raised in San Diego um, and then later moved to this Bay Area and actually ended up living five minutes away from Brad, where he lives now, um, currently. But um, when I was about 14 in San Diego, I was playing around with eight millimeter film cameras. And I remember my first project, and I still have it actually here, is I did a skateboard movie and I camera edited it because I, I didn't know how to splice eight millimeter film. So I would get a wide shot for two seconds. I would cut, I would have my friend do the same scene. I'd get a side angle. Then I get a reverse angle and then we play it back and it was a little slow, but it was all cut together as you would see a normal sequence. So at age 14, I knew, I mean, I was all in. That's what I wanted to do. It was either that play music or play ice hockey. It was, those were three things. I had no option. That was because I was, I was not talented in anything else. Well, it's hard to find ice in San Diego too. Yeah. But yeah, they, we had a good, we had a good program there. Um, really yeah 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 a couple nhlers came from there uh, peter mcnab made the nhl and he played with me um but long story short so I, I i always liked video and film and the arts and um i i my parents got divorced after i left san francisco i, I moved to philly uh and i went to college here uh, in philly at a place called temple university which has a real good television and film program and my, my junior year, I applied for a job at the Phillies in 1980. And they went really? to the series that year. Yeah, I, just Mike I just applied. I just bugged. Pete Rose. He was on the team then. Yeah. yeah. And I bugged the shit out of them. I was persistent. I was just, and, and, and they said, you know, listen, you're 20 years old. Our camera guys are all union. They're 40 years old. You know, I, you know, and I said, just give me, a, can I just have a chance? Let me just show you what I can do. So it was a preseason game. I went down there, shot two innings uh, at third base dugout. The next night they called me and they said, hey, if you want a job, you can shoot the season for this. So I heard it about 21, 22-year-old shooting Phillies games. Um, and I did it for eight years. I shot wow. the World Series, the All-Star game. And then that kind of jump-started me into doing all the sports teams in Philly. So I worked for the Flyers, the Phillies the Eagles, the Sixers, I started doing concerts and stuff like that. Now, when you get hired by the Eagles, do yeah. they teach you the proper way to throw batteries? 
And do you have access to the jail? <laughs> we hear there's a jail there. Eagles fans are like no other in the world. You know, it's 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 kind of a guilty guilty pleasure. It's 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 fun to be on the Eagles side. I would never wear <laughs> a Bengals jersey to an Eagles game. Yeah, just uh, you know, you always you know, there's certain crowds that you know have a uh, notorious uh, yeah, following, like, and it's, it's well <laughs> it, Philadelphia Eagle fans are well deserved for that notorious following. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> so. Uh, so you 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 turn that opportunity, and that's one thing I always like uh, with these stories is the persistence. Mm-hmm. You know, I, people you talk to, you know, it's either sometimes like luck, yeah. like it's either the Phillies make a wrong phone call and you pick up and like you oh well you're not the guy we want, but just showing up we need someone, or yeah, it's you- the you know the persistence um, uh-huh. of pushing your way through the door yeah i've got an answer for that and i always say i'm lucky i tell people i'm lucky all the time but in fundamentally i think that luck is because you work hard and you deserve it you make your own luck you know you work true, hard true. and you make yourself a parent or or you're just prepared when the opportunity arrives yeah yeah you know? absolutely um but uh you know so i you know i like those those stories where um, you know, you, you're not waiting for the door to open. You're there knocking, you know, basically picking you know, it in saying, you know, Hey, yeah, I'm here I mean, guys. I've had such a freaking great career. I don't, I don't consider my work work. Hmm. I don't, you know, it's not work. It's fun. I so enjoy the process, the creative process, the problem solution process, you know, give me a problem and I'll figure out a solution on how to do it. And, and then working with my great crew, who are all dear friends of mine. I mean, we're an extended family. I've got, we've got 93 employees at, at the company. And everybody is top notch. Yeah. Uh, and then, then having the opportunity to work with people like Night Ranger mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and becoming part of their family. Um, now, hold on. I want to get back to these Philly sports teams. So did you get a film? Uh, was it Dr. J? <laughs> Dr. J, I got a, I have a picture downstairs of him that he signed for me uh, that I took of him. Um, so that's the exact era. You guys are right yeah. on with Pete Rose yeah. and Dr. J. Well, Pete was well, my idol growing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, he I, was, All my Reds jerseys are 14 rows on the back. And every so, time I'd wear one to the game, I'd, people would say, hey, you want to make a bet on who's going to win? I'm like, like, I haven't heard that 100 million times, you know. Yeah. yeah so Charlie, you know, Charlie Hustle. You even got into like some of the bad Philly years. Like well, you saw Ryan Sandberg probably for a minute. Yeah. Um, you know, uh Von Hayes. Von mm, Hayes, probably the, one one of the coolest names with the lowest batting average. Uh Andy Van Slyke was another cool name, but uh But you yeah, get Mike had... Schmidt. Mike Schmidt's a resident from here. He's actually more from Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. Um, and you had some former Reds. Gary Reedus, I think, went to the uh Phillies for a while, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, so out of these teams, right, for the Flyers, you know, I mean, um, in the the uh, 76ers, is there a player that just sticks out of your head for like hmm. that is just unique in some strange, cool way? Or is there someone that you – Lester you know, Hayes, stick them. 
<laughs> I don't know who that is. Is that a player? For he, the- he was a Philadelphia Eagle, but it was more seventies. Okay. And, so, oh, was he a stickum guy? Yeah, was he was a stickum guy. guy. And I remember yeah. being a kid, and they're interviewing him, and he couldn't get the microphone off his hand. <clears throat> you know. But is there there's someone out there? You know, you always loved filming, or just yeah, that's it. You know, I, I'll tell you what. One of the one of the great stories I had for the Flyers for me personally was I played ice hockey growing up, so I was able to after practices go out with the team that if people were sticking around and just doing two on ones, three on twos, and whatever. And I remember doing drills with Brian Prop and Timmy Kerr on the on the ice, and I'm thinking, holy shit, I'm practicing with the fucking Flyers. Pinnacle, I mean, just such a yeah. great memory and. Mm-hmm. And once again, good people. I mean, good people that would help, you know, with, you know, some long haired 22 year old skating with them without a helmet, you know, <laughs> and they're doing two on, you know, two on ones and three on twos. So that was a great memory. I, one of the most prominent memories from the Flyers was Eric Lindros. Now that would be like early 90s, right? Yep. Uh, right. I, I think the late 80s. Really? All right. But I remember when sure. he. I'm, I was going to ask you about him, but I thought it was a little bit later, but because not even being a hockey fan, being a, a 12, you know, 10 year old, 12 year old yeah. kid, whenever that would have been like, I remember that name coming yeah. down, you know, coming down the pike, you know, supposed to be this oh, big God. rated rookie. And so such what was high it? Pot- such high potential. I mean, he was, a, he was a born flyer the way he played and, and, and his skill sets and he was a hell of a fighter. Um, and it's just a shame how it just kind of fell apart on him. It really is. Because he he could have been, in my opinion, the, the best hockey player ever. But mm-hmm. it just didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. Were you there with them? Did they go to the Stanley Cup in like 97, 96, the Flyers? Yeah, I wasn't with them then. Um, okay. I had to go downstairs. I have, a, I have a, a music studio in my basement that has all my press credentials on the wall. All right. And it's pretty cool seeing all my like working cards for being a Flyers, you know, crew member and and all that kind of stuff. But that was that was basically the eighties for me. That's um, really cool. So you you get your start now. When you you basically were you employed by them as like an individual, or did you create like a company for them to hire? Right. No, I was a freelancer. So in those years when I was working for all the sports teams, uh, you know, I became part of a circle of a crew me- of crew members that freelance the games. Um, and, um, you know, we- we'd switch each other out if I had a, a, a conflict that I had to do something. I, we do do what we call the favor tally. And the favor tally is I call you, Josh, and say, listen, I can't shoot the game Thursday night. Can you fill in for me? So I just got you a job. And even though you were on the rotation, but you got to fill in for me. So then Josh, you then, the favor tally works is that I'm up next. So the next game that you can't work or the next event, you give me the call. Um, And that's how it works. So there was like, you know, maybe 30 crew guys in Philly that would just rotate through um, and play nice with each other. And, and some of the guys are still doing it today. I was just at the, I was just at the, at the uh, championship game in Philly um at the new stadium at citizens bank park and some of the guys are still there shooting crazy yeah so when did you first start venturing outside of the uh, sports world i started shooting news 
um, probably mid eighties, nineties, early, early, late eighties for, uh, a, a, a Fox television affiliate news station here in Philly. Um, and I, I always wanted to be in like a news photographer and go out and shoot the news stories and stuff. And quickly I found out that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> it was nothing but bad shit. You know, yeah. it really was. It was dead bodies. It was fucking car accidents. It was holdups. It was just, I, I, I really hate surrounding myself with that kind of negative energy. And within a, within a half a year, I said, I don't want to spend my life doing this. Um, and then I started getting into commercial production and I went to a, a small, a smaller, much smaller production company that I'm working at now that I'm a principal in now and um, quickly became a vice president there. And we ended up shooting Campbell's soup commercials and some pretty high end stuff for being a real small 10 person shop, you know, mm -hmm. and I was in my late twenties there. And then by the time I was like 32, I took a job with Center City Film and Video. So tell us some of the tricks that you use in commercials. Like, I know like... Oh, like ice cream and his mashed potatoes and stuff like that? That or like they'll in soup, they'll put something like... Marbles. You know, yeah, it, you know, so the stuff will lay right yeah. on top and not sink. Yeah. Come yeah, on, yeah. tell us some of those secrets, man. There's a lot. The marble trick is true. Um for a while, there, there there was a real big thing of ethics within the industry of not doing everything and shooting everything organically. And that all went to shit about 15 years ago and everybody started cheating. <laughs> so we would shoot, we would shoot pizzas and we would get a flamethrower and, you know, you know, get, get them all crusty and stuff and yeah. bubbly and then then literally roll right after that so you, you only have like 15 seconds to get that real good cheese pull or that really mm -hmm. bubbly shot and you always want to do like a dolly move or something sexy with it or shoot it what we call over crank it which is like 60 frames per second instead of 30 frames per second or 24 and by over cranking it you're giving it that nice sexy kind of smooth just kind of slow motion thing. i need to order a pizza right now <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we, we did food commercials and I would have like, I would build this huge studio out and have like three kitchens going continuously baking and making product and then bringing it onto set. We would get film shot first and then they take it to a photography set right next to ours. And then they would do still photography yeah. of it. And then we bring the next one out. And what we'd always do is we'd put a dummy in the shot first. So it's, it's just like a shitty looking dish or whatever it's going to be, a hamburger and fries. And then you get your lighting right, your rake light, your, your key light, everything. You get your camera move right. And then as soon as we're ready, we'll go to the kitchen and say, okay, it's time to bring the hero in. And they'll have the hero ready to go. The all dolled up shot with everything, you know, gleaming and everything. And they'll bring it in. And within a minute, it'll look like a turd. It'll, it just, the lighting <laughs> just kills it. So you just gotta, you gotta be really yeah. ready and then get another hero in and do that. Yeah. So what I've learned is, you know, what they say in like acting, you don't work with, you know, animals and children and in commercials don't work with food. Um, <laughs> well, no, you work with food because that way you get to eat it. Yeah. I, I've never eaten anything I shot. <laughs> oh, well. Well you, well, you can take a look at me and Brent. We would, uh, we'd probably eat it. <laughs> you know, it was funny that you, you're talking about how they do that. My wife and I were watching TV. R rarely we watch TV together because, you know, polar opposites. 
and a blue buffalo commercial comes on and these two ladies are in the grocery store holding this it looks like it's got a, pill, a pillow in the bag perfect bag if you've ever held dog food you know it bends over when you pick it up yeah and they're just like just passing it i'm like this is ridiculous yeah my wife's like i know i couldn't even lift that bag yeah it's probably you know, full, full of cotton yeah. oh <laughs> you know so and i've never had i've never had a big mac look like how they look yeah yeah, there's a lot of trickery, but yeah. it's it's fun. It's part of the process. So you're doing food commercials. Uh now were you doing you're doing that before you joined um Center, Center City. The Center City? No, I, I was well, I was doing that. I did a lot of food stuff at Center City film and video. Um we 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 really excelled at that. Um and then we started I started getting more into programming, TV commercials. Hi, you know, I, I worked with I've worked with a lot of celebrities. Um, and probably the most prolific one that probably the most high name would be Clooney. And he did a voiceover for a documentary I did on Bono. And so, um, he, so he, what, he, what would be your job like there? So, um, you know, so you're doing this documentary, um, <clears throat> on Bono. What is like your job title? What? You know, right. you know, what are you doing with George Clooney? Are you directing yeah. the narrate? What's yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great story, actually. Is um we were uh somehow their team reached out to us about doing a, a documentary, a mini doc on him and his humanitarian efforts in Africa. And I was all in. I was a huge YouTube fan, I was a huge music fan, period, obviously, still am. And so I jumped on it and I said, yeah, we would love to talk to you about it. We went and met with the people and they saw the passion and excitement and the knowledge of the band and of Bono and what he has achieved in his, you know, in his career of helping people out. And, you know, he gets a bad rap. Some people make fun of him, like he's trying to save the world and stuff. There's nobody in the world, in the music business that does more for humanitarian causes than him. There's absolutely nobody. He is legitimately... Um, an incredible person when it comes to that. Um, and he, he speaks like eight languages, you know, I mean, I'm exaggerating, maybe mm. five, whatever. He, the guy is so articulate and so well-versed in so many things. Um, and, and he really, the, the political spectrum, I mean, people say he's left or whatever. He's not, he's right in the middle. He, he, he plays well in the sandbox with everybody. All he wants is just to be, have people treated fairly. And, um, Long story short, so we got awarded the job because we we really showed a lot of passion and interest in the project. Um, and I told the client, I said, I'd love to get a really well-known voiceover to do the project. And my immediate thoughts was Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Will Smith. They were all hot at the time. I thought they mm -hmm. all had very distinguishable voices that would be really resonated with, 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 the, with the documentary. And so I, I sent, I found out through mutual friends and people in the business, the managers of all three of these gentlemen. And I sent out really well-written, you know, emails to each of them. Nothing back from Brad. Okay. Nothing back from Will Smith. Nothing. Sent one out to George Clooney. Literally within 15 minutes, I'm driving home from Philly to my house. And I remember it vividly. I pulled over at the Kohl's shopping market on Ridge Avenue 
And I remember his manager just called and said, we'd love to do it. Let us know if as long as you can come to New York and work with us in New York, because he's shooting a movie, we'd be happy to do it. And two weeks later, I scheduled record time. He came in, um, you know, torn blue jeans, Timberland boots, flannel shirt, uh, you know, um, came in and, and gave us an hour of his time. And it, it was amazing. He's a Cincinnati boy. That's why. Is he really? Yeah. His dad was the um, news anchor down here for 20, 30 years. How about that? Nick Clooney. And uh, which, you know, of course, his aunt is Rosemary Clooney, the old singer. So, yeah, they're all from this area. That's great. Yeah. Does he come back to Cincinnati often? I haven't seen or heard anything about him in years coming back to town. Yeah. I know that he came back because I think they honored his dad about 10 years ago and he came back for that. Yeah. Bradley Cooper's from Philly and he comes back quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so was, a- so this um, documentary, what was it called? It was um, the sounds of freedom, I think. And it was for the, it was because he was getting the Liberty medal at the constitution center. And so they needed a five-minute mini documentary to roll, and ABC picked it up. I gotcha. Yeah. And I never expected it to win an Emmy. I I didn't even go because I didn't. I I thought this isn't going to win. I mean, you know, it's good, but you know. Now was that the first Emmy you were nominated for? That was the first Emmy I ever won. Wow. I've won three since, but and my account executive went, um, and. You know, he called me and said, we fucking won. And I was like, no way. You know? Did he had to go on stage and say, no. Brian couldn't be here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. Um, it was one of those preliminary things. But okay. regardless, well, it was, it was a great honor. And it, the best part of the story actually is, is last year, 14 years later, Bono's PR company calls me and said, hey, Remember, remember working with you 14 years ago? Would you do another project like that for us? And I was like, yeah. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, the real nice thing was it was literally 14 years separated and they still had my name number and still had the foresight and the, and the, 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 the ability to reach out to, to somebody that they worked with before they come. Cause they've got all kinds of people they could have hired for that. And you've been a Bonnie, you've been a U2 fan since you were a kid? I was, I, ever since the, I saw the Red Rocks concert. Well, oh, that's legendary. I, I mean, really that, that brought now, Red Rocks in all of our living rooms. That, you know, I, I used to wonder, what the heck is this place? But yeah. um, Now, what, but, really, what really happened was they didn't remember you, but Bono's been watching this. That's right. Um, okay. <laughs> and he was like, get me this guy. Yeah. Get me this guy. Um, he makes Brad look, Gillis look good. Um, that's the, that's the guy I want. So how does your Emmy show up? What do you mean? Does it come in the mail? Do you go pick it up? Oh, this one, my, my account executive brought to me the other ones I went to. Um, so, so, smart okay, so, man. all right. So, but where do like, where do they go to pick? They, they go to, yeah, you, you actually walk home. You walk home with it that night. All right. So, so it's funny. I took a picture actually of a whole table of these set up backstage. I mean, there was like 
it seemed like a hundred of them, you know. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, very well run organization. And very, I never expected to be to win an Emmy award in my entire life. You know, I never thought mm. that that was a possibility. Um, and what were they all for? Oh God, there's lot of lot of one that was really important to me was for actually a public service um program for something called the police athletic league and it won the best psa emmy and it um i don't know if you have a police athletic league in cincinnati they're they're pretty much in every yeah city and what they are is it's an organization run by the police department of every city and they're, they set up rec centers at at their at the police department's cost for at risk youth, and um, these are kids that are living in urban blight that are you know in danger every day of drugs, you know weapons, all kinds of shit, and it's a safe haven for them. And so I became a board member fifteen years ago for the organization and. Um, they needed a national PSA to, to really hit home and they asked me to do it and I did it and, um, and it won it. It was really well produced. It was That's fantastic. It was, yeah. And it was, you know, it was, a, it was a worthy project. It was a project that actually meant something. Mm -hmm. um, did, so I've been, go ahead. Did, when you, you know, doing so that, that, that documentary <clears throat> on uh, Bono, did that, I mean, obviously, it opens doors where you can do stuff like those PSAs. Did it open, you know, different doors or different, you know, avenues in the entertainment business? Did it take you to like another, you know, yeah. tier? Well, it's, it certainly adds cred. You know, it gives you credibility. You know, mm -hmm. um, it, it's good um, when people come into our studio. I mean, we've got a, a state of the Brad's been in our studio. Um, we got a beautiful studio in Center City, Philadelphia. It's the 19th top floor of a, of a high rise right next to City Hall. Really contemporary. You come through and all you see is just a wall of high-end awards. Um, so it, it, it adds credibility to who you're working with and what we stand for and our work ethic. Um, and then that just kind of tri trickles and it just steamrolls. So I've, you know, I've worked with, you know, Marie Osmond at 20 times. I've been to Vegas working with Marie. I've, I've worked with a ton of people. I've worked with Jessica Simpson. I've worked with Randy Jackson, um, worked with, um, oh God, there's so many people I, I can't even mention, mm -hmm. but um, I've worked with a lot of celebrities and I've really enjoyed it. And I think the key to working with a celebrity is just treat them like normal people. Don't be a fanboy. You know, don't ask to get a picture taken with them. Don't fucking say, oh, how much I like your work. Tell them, you know, here's what we're doing. This is the kind of, you know, delivery we need. Um, you know. Now, you know, next time Brent sees Jack, he's going to slap his phone out of his hands, tell Jack no photos, and then he's just going to, like, punch him in the gut or something. <laughs> I've dreamt about it, yeah. <laughs> so, so you you know, this office, I mean, you uh you know, you but you you talk about it being in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um. You always, I think, when you think of like this stuff, you always think of L.A. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We. Yeah. I lived pretty much by coastal for a couple of years. Um. Constantly going out to L.A. and Santa Monica. We my cruise shoot. We just did a shoot in Barcelona. 
Singapore, we shoot everywhere. So we're, we're based in Philly, but most of our, I would say half of our projects are out of state, quite frankly, mm -hmm. um, because our clients want to send us to places and, yeah. and don't mind paying the extra, you know, airfare yeah. and and Tough. then with, you know, with those executive vice president and senior director titles, you probably get first pick. So if you're looking at this, you know, the day sheet and it's like, all right, we got a <clears throat> upcoming shoot in Omaha and we got an upcoming shoot in Barcelona. <laughs> you're pretty much probably picking Barcelona. Um, but uh, when did you first. Uh, did you I know you, you talked about, you know, being in the Bay Area living not too far from brad did you know night any of the guys on night ranger before you started working with them i knew brad first i met brad yeah probably eight years ago that's um and it was just happenstance and we ended up using some of his music for a project that i was producing he does needle drop and he does background music for mm -hmm. scores and he's very very successful at that part of that genre uh, he's worked with ABC, with Wild World of Sports. ESPN, a lot. ESPN. Yeah, yeah. So he cranked out some stuff for us and we used it. And um, within a couple of weeks, they were playing in Atlantic City. And he brought me backstage to Atlantic City, treated me like freaking like, you know, family. And mm -hmm. um, ever since then, we became really good friends. And I mean, he's a, he's a great friend of mine. I, I really yeah. respect him and appreciate him and, and very grateful for the opportunities that I've had and being able to work with him. Yeah. His only flaw was he's a Raiders fan. Yeah. He's a huge Raiders fan. Yeah. He's going to, I, I, we were talking about seeing a game in December in Vegas when I'm out to see you too, that mm -hmm. he's going to be, I think, going to a, a Raiders game that All same right. week. So well, nothing like seeing, you know, getting your misery live and in person. Um, I used to, you know, I, when I was raised in San Diego and Raiders were a big rival. So the days of Kenny Stabler, uh, you know. Uh, well, you were there uh, for, you know, Dan Fouts and oh, Chuck yeah. Joyner and yeah. Winslow and. Um, um, my, my God, what's the quarterback? Um, Jim, Fouts. I was thinking Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts, yeah. Um, I mean, he was there for Stan Humphreys too, but, well, yeah. you probably weren't in San Diego, you know, then, but. uh um and we also the Bengals got James Brooks from you. Yeah. Uh, but uh um so when who was, you... was the one that wore the the glasses and always had like the tape in the middle? Is that Joiner? Seth Joiner? Was it? I, I, I can't know. remember. Mm, I don't know. Running back. Oh damn. You know, I'll think of this. Chuck, Chuck Muncie. Was Eric? it Chuck Muncie? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah. Um that's one of those things I think of at 3 a.m. this morning, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, join us for all your night races in San Diego. This is what we do to you, you know? Yeah. Um, you guys know your sports really well, I got to yeah. say. Well, you also, I mean, you had, you know, well, you had been in Philadelphia then, but, you know, you just missed San Diego's first World Series in 84. Yeah. Um, Here, you, I got something for you. Is it Gary Templeton autograph? This is the first year I worked for the Phillies. I guess maybe. I think it is 83 actually. This is they went, yeah. they won the National League here, got the whole ball signed by the team because I was a third base. So I would just go ahead and give the guys the ball and they'd sign it, you know. Um, they went to the World Series this year, I believe, and lost to the Orioles. So that was my first year of shooting third base dugout. Wow. I mean, 
talk about luck. That's luck, you know. Um, and was it was Pete nice to you at all, Pete? Yeah, I didn't really. Do, you know, I was a camera guy. That was well, yeah. You know. Because as beloved as he is here in Cincinnati, when I would when he when he left to the Phillies, I was in seventh or eighth grade. I can't remember. And he came back to an American Legion Hall and played a celebrity softball game. And we were all sitting in a team room watching the World Series with him. But he wouldn't speak to anybody. And his brother Dave, sweetest guy you'd ever meet. Yeah. And he walked over and he said, you, you need Pete's autograph? And I had a Philadelphia, his first Phillies card. I was like, yeah, I'd love to get this signed. And Pete walks in, or Dave takes me over and goes, Pete, this is Brent, you know. And Pete looked at the card and he goes, I'm sick as tired of signing these fucking things. I went, and my heart just went, boom. Uh, and Dave's like, he's just pissed because he's not in the World Series. <laughs> so, just curious. Yeah. Um, I used to work for minor league baseball back in the, in the late 90s. And a guy that owned the company, name was Stu Payne. And he did some work for the Phillies in the early 80s. And he always said that uh, Mike Schmidt was great. Or no, was it? I think it was reversed. Pete Rose was great. Mike Schmidt was the ass. Yeah. Really? There's your Pete Rose autograph for you. Yeah. There you it go. Never changed. It's iconic. Iconic. Now, were, were you there when Jeff Rimmer was the play by play guy? Name Dan sounds Josh. Weird. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can you see Tug McGraw it, smacking that mitt. It must be, it must be something with like Philadelphia because Norm McDonald told a great story about going to a Flyers game. He's a teenager, you know, maybe like 12, 11, somewhere in there. And after the game, <clears throat> he went out to get like an autograph. And one of the Flyers players was smoking a cigarette outside. <clears throat> and he walks up. And he, know, he said the player's name. I can't remember. Yeah. And he's like, hey, will you sign my card or whatever? And he said the guy just looked at him, took a big drag off his cigarette. <laughs> And just flicked a cigarette at him and went back inside. Oh my lord! Really? Yeah, Philadelphia. He goes, "That was better than an autograph." Well, I'll tell you what—that is not symbolic of the Flyers and the play and the hockey players in general. Hockey players, since I've worked with you know all four sports leagues, and and um, the hockey players are really the most cool and laid back, and that's that was a pretty unique experience. Unfortunately, well, this was this from what I understand, this would probably been like mid seventies. And he was one of the like tough guys kind of deal, right? Like Dave yeah. Schultz or Bob yeah. I have to look it up, but uh, you know, like I remember them talking about him, like he was like you know the fighter on the team, and that would everything. be Schultz. I had actually I I worked with Schultz uh, years later, and I brought a pair of Everlast boxing gloves, and I asked him if he would sign him, and he signed him. Wasn't cool. was Philadelphia? I mean, I know. I mean, you guys, you know, had some. Uh, you know, big, you know, super, you know, George uh, or Joe Frazier's from Philadelphia. I went to high, I went to high school with his daughter. Rocky Balboa um, is from, Rocky is from there. But uh, who was the guy who fought Ali and he was like a, a fucking beer distributor or something? Was he from Philadelphia? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Vaguely, vaguely. I got a good Mike Tyson story for you. Yeah, we will go ahead. We want to hear it right now. So I, I during this earlier part of my career, I was shooting sports all the time. So I was doing the Phillies Flyers, blah, blah, blah. And I was working for ESPN. 
And so it was the Tyson Spinks fight. I got hired to go down and shoot. And was Atlantic that at the City. Spectrum? That was in Atlantic City. It was at okay. the Taj Mahal, I believe. And this is when Tyson was, you know, he was just destroying everybody in yeah. 94 seconds, you know. And he was wearing a black trunks and Kevin Rooney was his trainer back then. And I said, I had those credentials in my studio as well. Um, so long story short, day before um, the fight was their last sparring session. And they they rented out a huge convention room at the Taj Mahal to be, and it had a full size ring in it. And it had like three rows of seats around it. And all the crew, my crew guys were in there just peeking in and they, they were all walking out and I was walking in and they said, they're kicking everybody out. The Tyson's doing his last, you know, sparring session. And I was like, I, I'm, a, I'm just going to play fucking dumb and go in. So I played dumb and I went down and I sat down right in the center of the front row and I see Tyson sparring with Rooney getting into the ring and he gets in the ring and the whole fucking ring is just boom, 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 boom. I mean, it's just resonating. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm thinking to myself, if he hit me, I would die. I mean, I would literally die if he hit me. And he's sparring around and he's got his big entourage around him. And I'm the only guy there that's not with his entourage. And he's sparring around and he looks at me within two minutes and said, who the fuck are you? You know, and he goes, you're a fucking spy. You're with Spinks. I've seen you, you motherfucker. And he starts walking to me. And all these guys start walking to me. And I'm like, I stood up and I showed him my ESPN pass. And I said, no, I'm a cameraman for ESPN. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm rooting for you. And I start to get up to leave. And he starts cracking. I said, I'm fucking with you. And at that point, I didn't know what to do. I was like, do I continue to get up and leave? Or do I sit back down in the pants I just shit myself in? You should have said, oh, I was here to kick your ass. That's what you <laughs> So, so literally, I just kind of like sat back down for like 30 seconds and they went about their business and I just kind of, yeah, <laughs> but I never, I never been threatened and that scared in my entire life. Now, wow. If, if you ever have a heart attack down the road, some of it's going to be, you know, to blame for that one experience where your heart <laughs> fucking pounded, you know, uh, yeah, you're you're probably the only one of the few people of, you know, who's not been in the ring who's probably felt that Mike Tyson wrath. He got PSD from it, you know. He, he was he was just unbelievable, and and I, actually years later, I'm in Santa Monica doing a shoot, and I have a friend who lives in Santa Monica who's friends with Mike, and we spin around. We're going to the um stevie wonder show for the grammys in at the staples center and sure enough cena's driving his car and we're going to see stevie wonder at the grammys and who fucking calls him on the phone it's mike tyson (laughs) (laughs) asking if that fucking spies with him right (laughs) yeah i'm not going to try to do the uh the voice um but people who weren't there, like, uh, you know, I was young enough to experience, you know, it. Um, that Mike Tyson era was just something. And it's, I just remember waking up one morning. I was going to church. That's just weird in itself. Uh, 
and my stepdad telling me that Tyson lost. Mm. And it was just like, what? Like, yeah. how the, he doesn't lose. Like, who the hell, yeah. you know, beat him. And, you know, it's like, you know, then it was Buster Douglas. Like, it was such a shitty fight. Like, they had to go to Japan to, yeah. to sell it because, yeah. you know, they were like aiming for a couple fights down the road, you know, yeah. as the big ones. And, uh, yeah. Um, it was an amazing downfall. And, because he was unbeatable. There there was nobody that could touch him. And then, you know, Don King was involved and all that, those shenanigans. And Robin and, Givens and that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and boxing was like, at that time, in my humble opinion, that was the ultimate boxing era right there. I don't think boxing's ever achieved that again. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the, I mean, I again, I wasn't really there in the 70s, but in the 70s, 70s 60s i mean you had those big heavyweights yeah oh i and, remember all the ali fight monday, monday night on abc they would show them you yeah. know but when you got into the 90s i mean you had or the 80s i mean you had the heavyweights but then you had the roberto durans and you had sugar ray leonard's and um i mean i could you know who's the fuck there you know you got i'm sure we can name tons more but you had so many different fighters and so many, you know, Boom Boom Mancini. and uh, yeah, yeah. There's and then, like I said, Tyson was just something, something else. Uh, you know, you'd never seen anything like it. He was like a machine. Yeah. Even something about, you know, I mean, boxers were always kind of flamboyant a little bit to where he came out, black trunks, black yep. shoes. Yep. Uh, even that stood out and he was just unbeatable. I mean, you know, it yeah. didn't matter who it was. It could be a nobody. It could be Leon Spinks. And if it went two rounds, you you were just like, oh, I had an off night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But well, uh, I, I remember Andy would get people together and they'd want to chip in and do the pay-per-views. Yeah. And my chief ass wouldn't do it. I was only making three whatever dollars an hour in the 80s. And, I, and they're like, why, why don't you want to? I'm like. It's going to be over with within 30 seconds. Yeah. And I'd walk in the door and everybody be sitting around. I'm like, what? They go, it's over. I'm like, I told you. Yeah. You're wasting your money. Yeah. You it know, was a, it was a huge pay per view. Yeah. Payout. I mean, that the dollars and were just enormous. Because you'd yeah. only get those still shots on the news, is all you would see. They weren't yeah, on exactly. a show video. Exactly. I mean, and you had Showtime, had boxing, HBO all the time. Uh, back then you didn't have major sport, you know, major league sports on ESPN, so a lot of boxing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you knew it was. I forget whose joke this was, but you knew you'd been. It was really late at night when ESPN was show two white guys boxing. You know, it's like all right, it's three a.m. I need to go to bed. <laughs> um, but it's like uh, an infomercial. I do those, <laughs> and don't make fun of this because it, it's been made fun of on Saturday Night Live. But I've, I do those, those CD commercials, those infomercials for Time Life. I love oh, those things, man. And yeah, I've done about twenty-five of them. And like, uh, there's so go ahead, guy from Mario Speedwagon. I've done everybody. Yeah. I've, done, yeah, I've done them all, and and they're really fun to work on. You know, I, I get to work with great people. And the client, quite personally, is one of my favorite people in the world. His name's Alan Rubens. And he is just he's just a dear sweetheart um, who's got a great musical pedigree behind him. 
but it wasn't the we, guys we, from America. Did you one of the guys from America? Yeah, yeah remember that yeah. one? Uh, did you do the one like the Grand Ole Opry Color Classics? That was a good one. I don't care if you did. The only, the only one I did in Nashville was with um, uh, God, Jimmy Fortune, uh, Statler Brothers. Yes, yes. Hey, I know my country, and he was awesome. He was yeah. he, he was just a, a, such a nice guy. We exchanged numbers, and um, matter of fact, when I was in Nashville with you for when Night Ranger was there, I, I pinged him. We were going to try to get together for um, a drink. Now he's not an original Statler. No, he joined in like 1982. But um, yeah, I, I his, his wife's an all rocker. She loves the food. Really. Fire. She's big. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's big Foo Fighter fan. No, that's the thing about Nashville. It always pisses me off now because there's, you know, I want to hear, you know, my 60s and 70s country, Johnny Paycheck, Gary Stewart. And I walk in and it's like Kid Rock and it's just, you know. When we were there um, for for the Night Rangers show, Brad and I hung out for a couple of days prior to that. We went guitar shopping and we went to Carter's Vintage Guitars and Groons and did um, Michael Stairtow joined us from the guess who and it was a lot of fun it was just we we had a blast looking at guitars and you know brad goes in there and he's playing you know forty thousand dollar you know gibson guitars and just shredding on giving a clinic yeah he's giving a clinic i mean (laughs) he just destroys them and um but we i took him to a show at a place called the listening room one night and it's where all the producers and singer songwriters go mm-hmm. and they line up in four bar stools and they perform the songs that they wrote for Kelly Clarkson for Shania Twain, or they wrote for, you know, whoever. Yeah, whoever. Um, and they tell the story about how they wrote the song and how the, the artist then bought the song from them and performed it. And, and so Brad was reluctant to go, not quite honestly. He was like, I don't know if I really want to go to that. And he was mesmerized, mesmerized by it. I'm sorry. And uh, he came up after the show and he said, I want to go talk to those guys because there was four of the singer songwriters up there and every one of them knew who Brad was. And they were all like, dude, Brad Gillis, dude, you're a shredder. <laughs> you know, um, it was a lot of fun though. He he enjoyed it. Well, That's you're cool. so are you going to do a project with Jimmy? No, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I didn't. I don't know. I'm just friends with them at this point, you know. Well, I would have never thought that you'd be friends with the Statler brothers. Yeah. Um, Brent, you got any Statler brothers records back here? I do not. Missing out, man. Most people know the Statler brothers by Flowers on the Wall, Um, Pulp Fiction. uh, Well, when I was a kid, they were just like Kenny Rogers. You'd always see a commercial, not an infomercial, but like a thirty-second commercial for their greatest hits. You, I mean, Dude, you got to remember this. They were in in the 80s, man. Nine o'clock, Statler Brothers show every night, man. Yeah. Um, so when yeah. did you first yeah. When did you first get the phone call from the uh, Night Ranger organization saying, uh, you know, we'd like to do something with you? When would that have been? First time ever was Brad and I had already been friends and they were they were doing they were doing tour for two albums ago and they were going to release truth as their single Mm -hmm. and they gave me 24 hours notice they said we're going to be in philly can you shoot a quick video for us for the single so i gathered up my guys we went to this real small venue um made it look as big as possible place was sold out and um shot that video 
then it maybe two years later they were coming out with their latest album and um they wanted me to shoot breakout uh in the desert mm-hmm. which was a blast man it was so much fun now that you did both videos we did both in one day yeah so breakout and bring it all home yep we shot them both in the same day in bombay bombay beach uh this yeah. desolate kind of like very uh, cool background totally cool background it stunk like hell but you know it was it was a blast once again the band was so great to work with they were just like okay tell us what to do yeah that's great okay i got this idea um you know um Carrie wanted to go up on top of a dilapidated building to do a solo. I said, great, let's get up there and do it. You know, we had a drone going around. But it was a huge win because we shot, I shot the bulk of that footage. I shot 90% of that, both of those videos and and directed at the same time. And then I had another cameraman with me who shot. And we had a drone guy who, who added some color to some shots that we used. But it was a minimal crew. It was like nothing. And in the middle of the, of the desert, hot as hell and the videos turned out great i mean they really turned out good mm-hmm. um, yeah. so so that was it was it, that was my first real venture into working very closely with jack and kelly and carrie and eric and brad and ed and james and everybody and it was a great feeling it was, I, I, mm-hmm. I i can't thank them enough for giving me that opportunity but it was just a real, once again, as I mentioned earlier tonight, the collaborative effort and a huge win. I remember driving home and it was the sunset was coming down and we're driving back to LAX, long day. And I looked to my partner, John, who who was actually on the crew for the um, the Cleveland show. And I was like, that was fucking great. You know? <laughs> and it's a, it's a great video. I mean, that was, you know, the first studio album that came out while we were doing this podcast and that was the one thing that you know i picked up was not only is the song great but the video looks cool because there's an energetic at the same time yeah i mean you get this thing where bands from that genre that we like they'll release something and you know if the video is cool the song's not that great if the song is great the video looks like something me and Brent shot, you know, on, on the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Not even on iPhone. I think I'd be giving them too much cred. Um, so, you know, when that came out, I was like, all right, the song's good and the video's good. You know, it's crisp. It's clear. It doesn't look cheesy, you know, yeah. stuff like, you know, just yeah. it's, it's something you would show your friends. Right. Yeah. It, was, and that's it, not, was ed- it was edgy. And you know there was a, we, a lot of implied movement in the camera. We didn't want to do the locked off medium close up, you know, shit. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be moving around, so you felt yeah. like the energy of being there. Yep. Um, and then we for for breakout, we colorized it to make it look different. We kind of gave it a warmer sepia mm-hmm. wash almost to yeah, it. Yeah, I can see it. Um, I mean, that's the video I'm really referencing is the breakout yeah. video. I don't think I watched the other one all that much. Just yeah, I was really into breakout and. Uh, so that's the one I'm referencing. But yeah, you got, you know, the camera angles where they're like, the camera's almost on the ground, kind yep. of looking up and they're yep. singing kind of, you know, so uh, like I said, this day and age, not all the time when your favorite band releases something, do you want to take it to your friends and go, hey, look, 
um because they'll look at you if they're not fans of that type of music or what the fuck are you watching you know yeah. but uh that was a very very well shot video and yeah <clears throat> so so, uh, so that led me to you know i think the next year after that they went to europe and brad called me up and said hey hey bro you want to go you know you want to come with us and just hang for two weeks and i'm like yeah no working involved <laughs> just hang no work just hang and um i ended up shooting a lot of stuff just because i like shooting and i think josh you probably got that stuff as well mm -hmm. i know we shared a lot of, i know yeah. you're you're active on instagram yeah a lot so i know i was just you know yeah. putting a lot of stuff in instagram yeah. stories straight from your page yeah but that trip was epic i mean it was it was epic and once again i'm so blessed and so grateful that they you know brought me into their their squad to to try and felt comfortable traveling with me for two weeks mm -hmm. you know you you can you can pick the wrong person to travel for two weeks with and you're in trouble yeah. <laughs> you know so when did you first start hearing about this that's a good question i do not recall um that probably either brad or james reached out to me about that and um was really intrigued by it and i looked at what the cleveland youth orchestra had done with other bands and and even though the the people within that organization have changed since then they worked with sticks and a couple other people um it was it was like a labor of love there was so much pre-production involved in that job you know from from plot plans camera plot plans to figuring out how we're going to do the lighting how we're going to do the loading how we're going to do rehearsals you know what's it going to sound like I went, you know, I flew into Cleveland a day early, looked at the venue, did a site survey with Ed. I worked very closely with Ed throughout this, who was awesome. And, you know, they um, went out to dinner with the band every night and talked, you know, shop, but also had a lot of fun. They're just great to hang with. They're just great people. And I can't stress that enough. I mean, I've worked with a lot of musicians and a, a lot of celebrities and i have to say that the people in night range are the most down-to-earth fun people good people that i've worked with i can honestly say that um so we, we had a blast doing that kind of stuff and then we went to a first rehearsal which became part of the video you saw a little bit of the build-up we wanted to mm -hmm. we didn't want to start the the dvd with just the concert because it would be kind of out of context so we needed this little like two minute segment up front just to give the whole thing context as to why they're performing with the youth orchestra, you know, and um, the rehearsals were crazy because everybody had their, their sheet music and the band was awesome. They were right on it. They were like, I hear this, I hear that, I hear this, I hear that. And then we all packed up, went to dinner, went home. And then the, the day of the show, we had a, our final rehearsal with the band with the orchestra and it i'll be first to say i was like this is either going to go really good or mm -hmm. really bad you know they had a, the the kids mm -hmm. had a heavy lift of learning a lot of songs i'm looking at the set list right now and they played on one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven songs twelve songs three songs they didn't play on um and um that was a heavy lift and, you know, we, I was talking to my crew guys after, you know, the rehearsal went long and it was like, oh boy. Well, I remember and, that the day before was, oh, you know, I just know it was supposed to end earlier and it, yeah. it, 
So when, so what prep like when you're, you're hired to do that, you know, how do you, you know, what checklist do you have? Do you, do you have to take the, you know, obviously you got the size of the theater. Does that, you know, do you have an idea of what kind of cameras do you want? You know, how many, I mean, I guess you, you know, I guess what I'm asking is, all right, you know, you can have dudes with a camera on their shoulder. Yeah. But, you know, did, you know, did you use one of those big booms? Yeah, we used down? the jib. We used um, the jib. And that and... was right behind me the whole show. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. in every one of those shots. He was he was freelancing. So he was a great jib operator. And I gave him the assignment up front. I said, dude, I'm not going to have the time to call you on your moves. So just constantly freelance. And I said, let's review four moves. And these are your four moves you're going to do the whole show. You're going to boom down off the 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 balcony down to the band you're going to boom up from there you're going to boom over here you're going to dolly across or whatever mm-hmm. and then he just went into rotation of that and i didn't on the line cut when i was hot switching the show i didn't really go to him much because All i right, knew so about, talk to what what's like hot switching go hot, hot switching is where i had 18 cameras believe it or not on that show and six of them were like mounted gopro type cameras like okay. on the drum kit on the orchestra on this and that one was on by Eric, I believe. And they were specifically for coverage. So I always had that shot to go to. Then I had the stationary cameras in the back and I had a camera assigned to each band member. So Brad had a camera on him at all times. It was Brad's hero cam. Jack had a camera on him at all times. Everybody had one. I knew the songs. I printed out all the lyrics, all all who was singing what verse. So I could call who, what was coming. I'd, and I would just look at my sheet and I'd be at, okay, we're coming up to this, coming up to this, ready to, ready to, take two, ready three, go three, you know, jib, ready, go jib, jib. And then you call it to the best of your ability through a switcher that has all the inputs. And ultimately you're going to be late on a lot of stuff. Sure. You know, no matter how much you anticipate a shot, you're going to want to go back in post-production and just tweak it a little bit. So what we do is we call ISO, we ISO every camera. And they would get individually recorded. And then we get into post-production and we line all those cameras up. And then I'll go to my editor and say, I really want to see Brad here where he does the pick scrape. Or I really want to see um, Carrie do this. Or, or, you know, on Kelly's vocal with um, with Jack, I want to see them going back and forth. And so we would do that. And it was a labor of love. It was a lot of work. But it was really well worth it. Um, and... The, the 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 process started by talking with the band, talking with Ed primarily, but then it got into working with Steve, their lighting director, quite heavily. Token? And, yeah, wonderful guy. And <clears throat> Steve, um, quite frankly, had never lit for television before. And he was like all in. He was like, yeah, man, let's kick ass. Let's do this. And he was just so amazing to work with. And I, he, I mean, this could go right on his resume because he could he could light for concerts now for uh, CMT or whatever. Um, and Dave, I worked with Dave a lot um, on in audio, and Dave, I love Dave. I, I got to know Dave really well in Europe, and um, bonded with him. So, um, so that was the pre-production process, mostly involving them. Um, 
things went through James. James sent it through the band. Um, the biggest thing that the band had to approve was my lighting plot plan is to elevate the light level. And I remember James initially said, I don't know if the band's going to like that. They like the spotlights. They like that, that. And I explained why. And within two minutes, James called back and said, I just talked to Brad Kelly and, um, and um, Jack. Jack. And they, they all said, go with whatever Brian said. So that was the kind of relationship we had formed at that point, And it was really beneficial to smooth sailing. Um, so yeah, it was just fun. And then the, then the challenge was we had to mix five, one audio for the DVD. So, you know, that's always a challenge trying to, to do five, one, which it worked out great. And then we had closed caption it um, for, for broadcast as well. And we didn't think we didn't know it was going to hit access TV as quickly as it did. I thought it mm -hmm. might in a year or so. But I mean, it, it hit TV pretty quickly. Yeah, it it's going to actually be on the Saturday again. Great. Uh, the Saturday is going to be the longer show. Yes, I think they 90 minutes. Yeah. Well, the... and if you're watching this, it's already in the past. So don't look the Saturday. <laughs> Are the Blu-rays and DVDs closed captioned as well? Yes. Because we had somebody on the page that kept saying they wanted it to be closed captioned, but I oh, didn't you see know... You know what? Maybe they weren't. Uh, maybe the DVDs weren't. That's a good point, because I know it was a it was a rush to get to access, and I think by that time the DVD may have been authored. So I can't yeah. ver I can't verify that. Now was this all shot? Was it shot in four K? Was it just ten eighty p? It was. It was yeah, we did ten eighty p. We should, we did shoot some stuff four K, and the only benefit of that for us is we could punch in the camera and keep the resolution, so I could change a focal length. Right. And not have it deteriorate and get pixelated but um everything was shot 1080 native which is still hd yeah. um and, and it looks so much more superior than the dvd the 720p yeah yeah, yeah. and the you know the, the handheld guys brought a lot of good energy but i, I told them like same thing don't lock your shot off don't be boring you know can't the angle swish into the guy you know do you know get some active shots in the pit and we ran into a little bit of a problem in the pit actually because the place was so packed that everybody and everybody stood for the entire show that people moved up and really infringed on my handheld camera guys right at the stage so they couldn't move around real great it'd been great uh, if he would have specified there was these three women uh, you know in front of eric that we we know who they are they're they made the back of the album cover um they're they're on the page no, what I enjoyed so much about the video is I didn't have any motion sickness from watching it. Yeah. Back in the early 2000s, it seemed like anybody who had a video that came out, yeah. seen. It was just constant change, yeah. change, change. Yeah. And it was perfect yeah. amount of time. Thank you. You know, it's fantastic. You know, it, it helps being a musician. I mean, I, I, I played guitar since I was 14, so I, I'm really into editing on the beat. Mm -hmm. you know and not and staying in time and four four time and not switching it to six eight time or whatever um and the other thing you brought up which is a really good point is that back in those that time shaky cam was a big thing and shaky cam is nothing but distracting you know mm -hmm. movement is good what i call movement is drift so your camera drifts so it feels like you're breathing almost it's not this not shaking yeah. it's just breathing so when you watch a feature film and you see, you'll, you'll notice it now. And it's the term is called breathing. I have the camera breathe a little bit. Um, it's a very effective technique. 
Yeah, um, it looks great. Did you like prepping for this show? Did did uh, they give you any video, or did you go to YouTube and kind of like <clears throat> you know, kind of like map out? All right, this is kind of what they do. And is that maybe a reason why they didn't do any like deep cuts or anything like that? Because, you know, you've got to basically plot camera work, you know, around something and they need something established. It wasn't as much that um, I think one of the things why they didn't go too far into deep cuts is people go to the shows to hear the hits. And and us big time Night Ranger fans want to hear those those oddities and those deep cuts and those those things that we don't hear all the time and they'll break them out. What I um, so I don't know if I answered your question because I'm already derailing and going somewhere else. All I'm right. linear on you. And that is, I went to I went to Vegas to see him and just to hang out last year. They played, I think it was Golden Nugget or Harris, and they ripped into cover tunes at the end of the night that I was never expecting. They did Back in Black. Mm -hmm. They did a bunch of like stuff that was, and Jack killed it. They killed it. I was just like, my mind was blown. Mm -hmm. It was just like, it was so much fun. Yeah, I love when they rip into Boys of, Boys of Summer every now and then. Yeah. Oh, yeah so it, it sounds so good. It does. It does. It does. And I, I like, I also like, I saw a clip of them at Nam where they played acoustic. They had an acoustic set and you know, um, I just saw a band called Need to Breathe in Philly and they broke their set down and they, they kicked ass. They were great. And um, they broke it down and did acoustic set and mid show and it was brilliant. And I think mm -hmm. Night Ranger could do that as well. Yeah. Um, probably the coolest acoustic set I ever saw. I saw Stone to a Pilots back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, they do their rock set and yeah. then for their acoustic set from the, like their lighting rig would come down to the, stage and on top of their lighting rig they had like a, a living room so it was like you know a, you know a coffee table and oh, couches and stuff and they would go there and sit do a few acoustic shows then the lighting rig would go back up that's and, brilliant yeah i so, love stp they're yeah. they're san diego guys yeah 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 um i love them they're great and then you know the singer that took over um for for scott he does a good job yeah he does yeah i i you know i Bought, you know when they had chester bennington you yep. know i bought that record and i don't think i bought the latest but those first three even four the first four stone table pilot records are just phenomenal yeah um yeah i mean uh you know the second one that's you know purple that's you know that's top shelf even tiny music from the vatican gift shop I mean, that's yeah. fucking killer yeah. as well number four yeah. the fourth record i mean that's a heavy record and I obviously haven't even, you know, mentioned the first record, but those first four records, man, they were in my rotation. Yeah. Um, and I, I you know, I, I kind of date MTV. Like people think MTV stopped playing music or videos like in the eighties, early nineties, but I still remember 1996, I guess it was 97, 96, uh, big bang baby. Um, I remember keeping MTV on yeah. just for that video to show up. So yeah, they were still playing videos in 1996. Yeah. Um, this orchestra show, was there something different? You know, was there something that you ran into that you weren't expecting any like issues? You know, you still get stuff like that where, well, shit, I didn't think of that. 
the only issue I ran into for that show, and it wasn't a big deal, but it was, I felt disappointed was my technical director on the job was supposed to record the multi-view, which I have a huge monitor up in front of me, which is like a 55, 60 inch monitor and it has every camera on it. And so it's all assets, everything in one fell swoop. And he was supposed to give me a feed of that on a, on an ISO on a record deck so that I could reference it when we were going back into post-production and tweaking some shots. And I didn't have it. And, you know, what am I going to, you know. That's what, I was wondering if you, that's what I was wondering if you used to punch stuff in. Like, okay, do this, do this. Yeah, punch, exa yeah. that's exactly what would have been. That would have been so beneficial. And it's it was one of my asks and on my list of deliverables from them. And I didn't get it. And I remember as soon as the show was over, I went over, I got all the hard drives and everything to fly back to Philly with. And I said, you got the multi-view on this, right? And he was like, ah, I forgot to record that, you know. And what are you going to do at that point? The, the guy Too late, should... you can't fire me. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, no, there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about that show. Uh, I was, I was that pleased with it. Um, well, I and... remember Ed, I was with Ed probably January. So this was like two months after the show. We were at, a, at the hotel and he showed me like the first rough cut of it. Yeah. And you know, I, I said on the podcast, you know, that next week or whatever, that even then I could tell this is going to be phenomenal. Yeah. Like I'm seeing a rough cut. And then maybe a couple months later, you, you guys had the, like the interviews at the beginning. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. again, I was just like, listen, this is because really the only, like the D big DVD we have was the one that was released a few years ago, 35 years in a night, you know, it was yeah, released yeah. in uh, Chicago. I did reference that when the band awarded me this job and I I pointed out to them and I wasn't throwing anybody under the bus, but I pointed out to them things that were done incorrectly about the production on that job. And well, honestly, I, I am going to say, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll I'm not a fan of it. All right. Yeah, yeah. So that's well, that shit I, went out over the internet that night too. Uh, it was, I, it was, was it live? It, it, it was live on the internet. You had to watch it through some companies. I don't know who was yeah. sponsoring it that did it. I the, um the lighting was really uneven. The camera coverage wasn't great. But wow. that's what I was, you know, when I was seeing these, you know, rough copies, I was like, this is going to be the 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 copy that you want. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be the one we have in the past. Yeah. This is the one you're going to want. It's superior uh, audio-wise, but definitely picture-wise. It's like you're there. Yeah, um, thank you. I, I remember having a text chain with Jack, Kelly, and Brad, and it, it was it was great because they were they were really psyched about how good it looked. Um, I remember driving home in the van with with those guys. Those the, I was in the front seat, and they were right behind me, and I was showing. I recorded on my phone just a part of the show and I was playing it back for them and they were like this is fucking great you know and that was just the line cut that even that happened literally 30 minutes earlier you know well, two things I specifically love about it is one it doesn't look like it's on film it looks like it's in your living room yeah I, I love like a, you know like you'd watch a football game it's live yeah. looking yeah and two you used actual crowd shots from that show yeah 
I can't tell you, I was at a Kiss show in Dayton, Ohio, and they were recording the crowd show shots for their pay-per-view that was taped in New Jersey. Mm. <laughs> I have friends on, you know, the New Jersey show that are in Dayton, yeah. Ohio, you know. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's, yeah. one, that's one other regret that I do have, and that was I was a little underwhelmed by one of my camera guys' coverage in the crowd, and I, I gave them specific tasks to shoot. And a lot of it was during the, the verses shoot over the shoulders of people, like you pointed out earlier. And mm-hmm. then during the choruses, flip the camera around and get the sing along. And, but don't be in their face. And he came back with all these like really close up shots. <clears throat> and um, they that were not. Plays te- Robin Elisa. You know? they, they were not, they, they were not tethered. Um, so I couldn't see what they were doing because they were floating around in the crowd. They couldn't have a cable to them. Yeah. Um, so I, I sure. had no idea what they got until I got back into the studio and popped their cards in. I was looking at it. So after, you know, after everything's recorded, you get all the equipment. Um, just really kind of explain, you know, you did some, but explain the, uh, the process of, you know, from, uh, you know, you collecting everything, you know, getting back to the office to where you're ready to, you know, send this to Frontiers or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. So we went through numerous, you know, rough cuts. Nothing changed dramatically about anything. The bones was, is what you see in the, in the, the DVD release and the access TV show. That is the bones of the show. And that was always there. We just tweaked some things to tighten things up there were a couple interstitials where jack would tell a story between songs and it was it was a great story but it just kind of sucked the energy out of the flow of one song into the other so we just kind of like consolidated and had to trim some of those stories up we had one situation where he was talking about um god what song i'm looking at the set list right now um it was goodbye he was telling a story about goodbye about his brother dying from an overdose and somebody in the crowd yelled something out right as he was telling the story. And it could not have been the most inappropriate time to say anything, you know? And we had to trim around that because it was just an uncomfortable section. No way way to dub that out at all? No, no. You know what? There there wasn't. We we did have split track. Um, It was recorded on Pro Tools. And so we were able to isolate and, and take some things out, um, but we couldn't get that out. And, um, and that was unfortunate. You know, I hate, I go to a lot of shows. I love, I live by music. I love music. I go to at least six shows a month, concerts at least. Um, and I'm, I'm so tired of the people that feel like they have to be part of the show by yelling things out. You know, I just saw, I just saw Rob Thomas was here in Philly doing a benefit show, a really quaint benefit show for a, a foundation he has. It was really like an exclusive ticket to get. And people just were yelling, I love you. They kept going. And he finally flagged them and said, guys, this is my show. It's not your show. Let me do my show. And everybody behaved at that, at that point. And, and, you know, I give him a lot of credit for, you know, doing that. Yeah, like I think we were talking earlier is, you know, my biggest thing now is you go to a show and like I get you want to talk to who and I don't mind if you talk for 30 seconds about something, 
but when it's two minutes, mm. you know, I come close to getting in fights, uh, you know, yeah, multiple yeah. shows just because I, I will tell them, shut fuck up. It happened at the Ryman for me after we were down there for Night Ranger. I flew back down there to see Mellencamp for two nights, and um, which was epic. Great. Oh my God. It was, I was front row. It was freaking killer seeing Mellencamp at the Ryman. But the second show, the second night, there was two ladies behind me, two girls that couldn't give a rat's ass about the show. And all they were doing was yapping. And I literally, after song two, turned my back to them and said, are you going to watch the show and enjoy it or talk? Because if you want to talk, go out to the lobby. And she, they, she was like, sorry. You know, they didn't say another word. Yeah, you know, it's, and it's, I don't know. And it's always the, to me, it's, it's always the people who, you know, are probably always bitching about today's youth, you know, being whatever. And it's like, you know what? You're the fucking problem. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And you, so and you know what, the, and you know what their cousins are at the show when you're on the aisle seat. And every other song, they're going out to get a beer or to take yeah. a piss. Yeah. And 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 I'll, and I'll close it. I'm like, the Cumberland Gap goes that way. It doesn't come yeah. this way anymore. Listen, and you're on an aisle seat, buddy. It don't you matter. You're about sitting on the you aisle seat. You know, bring back four beers. Don't come back with one and then well, go listen, back. If I bring back four beers, I'm just pissing quicker again. Uh, no. But you're going <laughs> to go the other way. It's like when we were in Kentucky, <laughs> when we were in Kentucky um, recently. And, you know, it was set up in a big ballroom and you could just move the chairs. Yeah. And these guys kept, we were front row and they kept moving the chair and moving my wife to the side. And she's like, I'm getting tired of this. I'm like, tired of what? She's like, keep moving me. I went, that that ended. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I have zero tolerance <laughs> for that. I can't help. You know, the concerts are, are a, a kind of a communal event that, that brings people together. It's the only place music is so unique that way. Yes. And it, it, it everybody should be in good behavior and in, in mm. good behavior because it, it it it's uplifting and when you run into assholes they ruin everything for everybody and um and it, quite frankly they're not going to remember the show you know you know what you know what not not all of them are drinking either you know it's yeah. not like it's boot most of the time it's not booze i mean they may have a drink but yeah. they're not like i would almost give them a little bit of a pass if they're just intoxicated and don't realize it Right. And they're just, hey, you know, mm. fucking his rocks. But it's, you know, it's, you know, what did Bob say when Diane told him that? Like, motherfuckers. Um, Josh, you ever been to the basement in Columbus? It's literally a basement. I, I don't it's think it's there anymore. But yeah. Well, um, guy named Butch Walker. Um, Brian, you ever heard of this guy at all? No. Yeah. If you ever get the chance to see him, it's, mm. even if you don't know any of the songs, it's one yeah. of the most incredible polarizing experiences with an artist on the stage right so my wife finally agrees to go see him because she's you know digging yeah. the music she's listened to we weren't there five minutes and this girl spilled a beer all down her ruined ruined the whole night yeah. I, that's all i kept hearing when are we gonna go I'm like when, when the show's over well you don't yeah. have beer all over you but yeah. you know yeah but uh, i kind of expect that at the basement uh, <laughs> but uh, uh it was a basement so when you get this finalized, yeah, um, what what feedback did you get from the guys when they saw the finished project? Were you? I, I doubt you were with them, um, but um, I'm sure you got something on the uh, the text chain. Yeah, no, it was it was all great. Um, 
it was it was all great. They all had good comments and they all had things specific things that they saw that they wanted tweaked a little bit, um, which we accommodated. And they were they were the good calls. They were they were correct calls. Um, so um, I saw the guys and they play, performed in Philly this past summer with Poison and with yep. Brett, Brett yeah. and and stuff. So I, I was able to to hang out with them. I actually took took Brad in my vet to the show. And um, we escorted the buses. It was pretty funny, um, and uh, they you know they were all very grateful and appreciative. And it was just it was you know it was, it was a just another great event of, in my humble opinion, of of my um, saturation within the band, um, because I respect everyone in that organization. Everybody, the roadies, the guys, the techs. Uh, you know, Steve and Dave, I, I think are so, are brilliant at what they do and are hardworking and work and are so vested in Night Ranger success. You know, Ed is just a killer tour manager. You know, he has everything buttoned down, and 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 the guys in the band are just great. So I I can't say enough. I feel you know, mm. you know, I've had a great career. I've had a really great career and have you know I've I've won around here i've run literally probably 80 awards working with night ranger is one of the best things i've ever done outside of this podcast outside this podcast okay. well this is part of that maybe yeah. because we're talking about night ranger well um, and, and how easy was your job when they only had to stop the show one time to redo one thing actually we did two things actually um, i only remember the one when they were in during night ranger they went back up on the top and yeah i don't yeah. remember them yeah, I won't. I won't mention the guitar player, but what guitar player was playing the wrong riff there? Oh, uh, <laughs> and then we did the second take, and he did the same thing again. <laughs> How closely so we, did did you work with Anthony Fox on that? What was that about Anthony? Now Anthony Fox, I know he did some work. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it was more like on the audio release, but did yeah. you guys, you know, work we together worked, with that? We worked very closely together. Anthony's great. I had dinner with him when we were, um, in, when we were in Nashville. And for those that don't know, Anthony Fox is uh, per, uh, mastered, and I don't know if he really produced, but I know he mastered probably the last four studio records by night ranger but anyways that's who yeah, he is. and he's got a I mean, great client list he's got a great mm -hmm. pedigree and he he's you know he's a you know very interesting cat and really into it and um loves talking shop and and i remember i was i think i was in turks and caicos and i kept getting phone calls from anthony like every five minutes about the show and i'm like dude i'm on vacation yeah <laughs> He'd hang up, and then the next day he'd call again, you know. But great guy. Um, he was very involved in, in the final mix of it, and and nothing really changed. But mix levels from live show to to final performance, you know, a guitar might want to get bumped up three decibels or whatever, or panned a little bit. And then, so he was very in instrumental in doing not only the mix for the DVD, but also for the CD and the audio release. Yeah, good guy. Brent, you got anything you want to uh, ask him before we close this out? Yeah, actually, two things. What other music videos have you done? Mm -hmm. Google, and, Google Dolls. So, yeah. They were fun. They're good guys. Good video. Good project. Out of fun. Buffalo, aren't they? Yep. 
Rochester, uh, Rochester, JR Buffalo. Are they, Buffalo. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. And, and what's, is there any commercial that you had nationwide that we're going to remember? Like, yes. Not, not where's the beef caliber, maybe, but you know. I did one of those. Yeah. I did. I did one of those. And here's the, here's one that's going to resonate with you. Okay. I actually did one of the, I can't, I've fallen and I can't get up commercials. Really? Yes. Yes. I was about 23 years old, 25 years old. And I, we shot, we shot it literally 15 minutes from my house here. You know, that became, that became pop culture. It did. It did. I was at a comedy show and they were making fun of it. And I was like, I fucking directed that. (laughs) But, but (laughs) in a good way, you know? Yeah. In in a good way. I'm sure, you know, because everybody knows that that's yeah. fantastic well, it's, the, it's the same thing with the time life infomercials you know yeah. everybody knows them and you know now, do you still do those we th- that business is being um exited out right now so they're not we're not going to be producing anymore um and that's that's because uh, i would probably watch... public knowledge right now but you'll see a couple re- mm-hmm. reruns of some of those but we're not producing anymore currently because of the you do the one tony orlando I did. I fucking yeah, love that one. I remember that. Yeah, I know that one. Dude, I would I would watch those like you know, my girlfriend at the time, like, you know, you you just saw this one. I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's kind of like different all the time. But yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you could you know, I didn't, it didn't matter if it was like soft rock or you know, the hard rock. Like I said, remember America, Tony Orlando, the John Schneider my, do one or but then you know um it was always weird because it was like, you know, a celebrity and then yeah. someone who you don't fucking, you know, is a, yeah. you know. Yeah, it was um, David Davy Jones Monkeys, I think, did one. Spokes, I did one with Mickey Dolans in that. Oh, Mickey, maybe that's the one I was thinking yeah. of. Okay. Yeah, but, Mickey was great, but Mickey was the same thing. We hired a, a musician, Mickey, but we needed a kind of a spokesperson, female, to play off of him. Yeah. And keep it going if in case Mickey wasn't so good. Mickey was great. And Mickey, you know, it turns out is a, is a very accomplished director. So it was funny directing a director. Mm. It was the same thing when I worked with George Clooney. It's like, I'm directing this guy to do a voiceover, but he's directed freaking feature films. You know, how do you Did do you that? do the one where they were in, I think it's like the place is called Legends in Nashville? Um, no, I did not. No, the only one I did in Nashville was with Mickey Dolan's. All right. Yeah. I don't like that one anyways. Then. So long long story short, that client, it was a very good business for us because we got points on it. So the more CDs it sold, the more I got on the back end of it. So it really made you vested into doing, there's a very formulaic approach to doing those and having people pick up a phone. And, um, well, it's always that extra disc, you know, you know, you get 124 <laughs> tracks, and then also right. we'll send you, you know, the yep, 12 so. love, ultimate love themes. Um, I'm like, well, you shit. know, that reminds me of when you, of course, you've seen the Spinal Tap version of that, haven't you? No, right. it, 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 it's on the DVD, but at the end of the VHS, when you'd rent it, they'd had Blackie Lawless from Wasp, and they did their own infomercial basically in 1982 about yeah spinal taps greatest hits and they got this guy looking all heavy metal sitting in front of a fireplace drinking wine laying down it's hysterical i was i was watching snl a couple years ago and they did a skit on it and once again it was flattery you know yeah just just to be you know i love those time life ones man just 
you know, like I said, I remember watching Tony Orlando one and uh, they were all good, man. They were all good. Um, so, and if you ever do them again, call me cause I want to sit in on one, Yeah, you fun. know, just, uh, you know, but I want to bring my yeah. own couch and PJs. Right. And, and just, you know, and I've got like, boxes of Betamax tapes of nothing but MTV videos from the eighties. If you need them. Okay. Um, you know, whatever death that is, what is it? 420? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, probably 420. That's probably about right. Four I recorded I, ratio. I recorded most of that one SP because I knew it gave me better quality than EP. So I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian, here is the DVD from Japan. Right on. Uh, thank awesome. you for doing such a great job on this. Um, there's nothing worse than um, getting something and being disappointed. And, uh, you know, kind of like we were. And technology technology didn't change that much from 2017 to 2022. Um, but uh, you did a great job. Thank Everybody you. is um, happy with it. Um, I mean, everybody's posting their their pictures of their Blu-rays and pictures of them watching it on T, you know, the TV yeah. on our page, and um, so. Uh, and you're putting us on TV at the same yeah, time. Yeah, we had a yeah. Uh, yeah, did you ever get into those calls? There's too much Josh in the front row filming. Can you? Can you? <laughs> but can uh, you, you got you got you. I mean, we have a couple other you know co-hosts with us, and you got all three of them. Yeah, in in there, you know, Lisa's, you know, rocking yeah. Robin's, you know, singing along. And then you got a, a shot of uh, Andy as well. But uh, well, the, you know, speaking of that shot of Andy, and I, I'm sorry, I'll shut up after this. I was showing my daughter. I she's like, "Where are you on this Blu-ray?" I'm like, I, "There's a couple side views," and I was glad <laughs> I just had facial surgery, so my face was all swollen. So you caught me from this side mostly as a camera panned, and. I said, I know where exactly where Andy is. So I go to show her, and there's yeah. Andy. And she goes, well, there's you. I'm like, where? I'm in the, literally the next camera view. is I'm right in the center of the screen. I'm, I, I had no clue. Yeah. I didn't even see myself, you know. It was a fun night. Yeah, it was a great night. One Captured more, it well. One more crazy question. Uh, you, got, you got your cell phone next to you? I do. Who's the most famous person you could touch and call? You don't have to do it right now, but who do you think you, and could pick up mine? I don't know who we got. We got Brad Gillis, Jack, probably Eric Levy would be the most. Well, here's, I'm just grabbed the first thing I found. George, George Benson. Benson. Hey. Wow. <laughs> Levy would like that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Eric is freaking brilliant. You were supposed to say he was the most asshole to record <laughs> that night, you know. <laughs> He, he, I love Eric. He's, he's just yeah. so laid back. He, yeah. The very first time I, do you guys remember Mike Peters? Remember the alarm? Yeah. What a great guy. Is that the guy with, was that the lead singer? Yeah. Big yeah. hair and what's yeah. that? So come on down and meet your maker. Yes. Stand the stand. Yes. 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 He's a, he's, he's recovering from his third battle leukemia. Um, Is he? So I'm up in New York and, um, but boy, he just keeps going. Well, didn't he? he was he was torn right before the pandemic, wasn't he? Yep, I actually I played. I I played three gigs with them. I he brought me up on stage. I played in San Diego, 
I played in Philadelphia and I played in a place called Soderton, Pennsylvania, where on their last song or the first song of their encores, he, we got a special guy coming up. Oh, and, that's fantastic. Oh, dude. It was like incredible. See, incredible. I play drums and, and I'm never going to get that call from Night Ranger. Kelly Kagan could be on a respirator. They're like, no, <laughs> no, you know, ain't going to happen. Do you, do you play anything, Josh? I used to play bass back in the day. Um, I still need to sell my shit. I mean, I think, you know, I think I could, uh, I think I could cover for Brad. I would just hit the shit out of the whammy bar. You know, I could cover a little bit. Um, but he could do it like this with his elbow and it make it sound good. Oh, know. dude. Well, mine would be more like flair. Like I would put it on the ground, lay the guitar on the ground. I'd do like a flying elbow yeah. from the drum mm -hmm. riser. Right, yeah. like I'd really test out that Floyd Rose. It's it still wouldn't sound as good as he could. Ah, do. listen, Dude, when we were when we were in Zurich, I told you we, when we were in Nashville, we were guitar shopping. When we were in Zurich, um, Switzerland on on tour doing the, the festivals. Brad and I went to another music store. We had to walk like five miles to this place, and he got in there, and they had great vintage stuff. I mean, it was amazing in Zurich of all places. And once again, he picked up this Koa Taylor. I remember it vividly. It's like an 800 series Koa Taylor. And you, know, you play acoustic guitar. You're used to this. And he just went. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy how good he is. Yeah. Well, it's just like you'll be at sound check and you'll just see him just doing stuff. It's like if I had an ounce of that. Yeah, um, you know, and that's breathing to him. That's really what that is. That's just breathing. Well, I say I say that's why like him and Jeff were so good. They were so you know have so many great licks is because they were so good. Yeah, it's like whenever they would sit down and do a solo, like I got to make this hard as fuck, you know, and you know to be you know to compete with Jeff, and then Jeff's like I got to make this hard as fuck to compete with Brad. Well, you know, it's funny. Brad told me a story about when Kerry joined the band and that he was replicating something that jeff did and jeff was doing some tapping techniques and carrie mm -hmm. didn't do it he wasn't a tapper at that point so brad suggested to carrie said hey you know maybe you maybe at some point you could try doing some tapping in there he said the next show he had it down he was you know um he was amazed at how quickly he, he just went right to it yep yeah, uh, he, he compliments brad well they do they do he, yeah. he, they compliment yeah. each other actually that's how i should say it i would agree with that i would I would definitely agree with that. All right. Well, don't uh when when this is released, don't hit me up too bad on my editing. All right. Like uh oh, I was gonna I thought you were gonna have a special guest editor on this. this is my uh, writing okay? You know this, <laughs> this isn't city center, you know, film works. Um, you know, it's just a real simple intro, real simple outro. Oh. Um, hopefully you come around the Night Ranger camp more when I'm there so yeah. I can get blackmail on you. Um, so that way you'll know when I have enough blackmail on Brian, when we have like, you know, this whole grand opening to our podcast and, you know, you see George Clooney on there narrating the ultimate night ranger podcast. You'll have Brian, you'll, 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 you'll catch Brian telling that old Bono joke. You know, the, you know, what you know, that Bono joke where he says in the concert, every time I clap my hands, a child dies. And you hear the guy in the audience yells, then stop fucking clapping your hands. Brent? You know. <laughs> um, but I always say you'll know when I've got enough blackmail yeah. on Jack and Brad is when they're playing like, 
hey guys we're going to take a break from playing all the hits and we're going to play every song from our 1988 <laughs> record i was like you will know that i finally got enough on them to get what i want but uh again brian thank you for uh joining us and hey, uh you. i appreciate hey hold that emmy up See, get a good look at it yeah i don't know where mine's at so i don't have hey, what are the others behind you as well i'm sorry these, i wanted these are uh tele awards okay uh, this was for a corporate video for a uh, pharmaceutical company named uh Senecor. this i got actually i have three of them around here for night ranger we won, we actually won one for the concert video really yeah um i didn't know that we did and yeah did i think did uh radley just show us oh one? He did. yeah okay I, yeah. I know yeah i do know i'm sorry um okay. yeah now you do know uh, that you are the second person in the Night Ranger camp that has an Emmy. Um, Angela um, has one as well. So uh, I love Angela. So now she may not have three. So you may have seniority. Yeah. She. Uh, uh, we were. We talk video business when we get together because I know that she. She's. She's into that as well. And actually, um, I hooked her up with some friends in Phoenix, um, Scottsdale. With, well, with if you ever work when she's not it. on the road, she she's she can work with them. If you're ever going to be doing a movie at all, and you want an assured Academy Award, you got Josh and I right here. We can do the pretend podcasting. Well, you know, I mean, dude, we'll we'll hook you. We'll we'll make it happen. Yeah, um, I don't see. We are we are definitely better suited for radio. Um, oh, but well, uh, I I want to thank you because I I had a shitty day today. I had surgery. I was under anesthesia eight hours ago, nine hours ago, and you guys gave me some energy tonight. So thank good. you. Good. Most hey, people listen. most people have no idea what they're in for, and they kind of dread it coming in, and then they turn around and they're always laughing when they leave. Yeah. So that that's well, great. Listen, I mean, you know, you I wasn't too worried about it because me and Bernard are usually heavily heavily medicated every day, so uh, <laughs> you'll fit just right in now. Uh, um, if I next time I'm in Philadelphia, um, I expect you to take me to a Flyers game and El for Sally. Yeah, you got it. Um, when was the last time you at El for Sally? It's been a while. See, forty years ago. <laughs> and you also got what the two different cheesesteaks? There's two different. Oh, there's Pats and there's Gino's. Gino's. Yeah, but, Pats and. But, but locals probably stay away from those. But uh, I'm yeah. trying to remember because I'm a buddy of mine worked for a guy named. Is John DeBella, is that his name? Yeah, the radio I'm guy? WMR. He, he was his producer for a while. So he would talk about Was that Mark the Shark? Or was no, that... his name was Rob. Okay. I don't know what he went yeah. by. When Mark yeah. the Shark was Columbus, Ohio. I, I mean, I know of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Cheese Whiz, Philly's Cheesesteaks. Cheese Whiz or without? That? I'm not a Cheese Whiz guy. I, I go with go with American. All right. Yeah. Um. But I'm from San Diego, so what can I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's true. Um, but uh, all right, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, sorry, your Phillies didn't make it all the way, but uh, I was rooting for them. Um, thank you. And uh, now, are you Phillies or Padres? Both. All right. Well, um, you had at the end, I guess, a disappointing season at on both ends. Padres should have been a hell of a lot better, and the uh, yeah. Phillies should have went to the World Series. Yeah. So, but Philly, I, Philly's choked. Philly's choked. Well, I just want the Phillies to go back to the old uniform. I, I, I've been trying to find my other two favorite teams outside of the Reds are the Astros. So I was dying to see an Astros Phillies World Series, yeah. and I want that classic P hat with the baseball yeah. inside. Yeah, it's that, that's iconic. 
So well, the great you, never know, you never know what might show up at your door. Yeah, there you go. The uh, great thing about Philadelphia too is uh, if you got time before the uh, baseball game, you can walk right over to this building and do. So- There's no horses there, but you can bet on every horse race in the world. Yeah. Um, and drink some beer and uh, meet some of the best, finest locals of Philadelphia. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank um, you. And really, honestly. Thank you for this. Um, Thank you. You know, not very many bands. You know, it's almost the perfect storm. Night Ranger is at the top of their game, you know, 40 years in. Um, it was a great night, even without the recording stuff with, you know, the Danny Repepi Memorial Show, um, the orchestra. I mean, you, we didn't even have to have this for it to be a great night um yeah, and those kids were fantastic yeah but with you know even with all of that you get this and it's perfect this souvenir was even, this was as great as you could have wanted it to be yeah right so you know it's like nothing in life works out that perfect right yeah i guess this is the one time so That's you know Everything gonna... lined up, and uh, you were a part of that, and we appreciate it. So, Brian, you are now a uh, a friend of the podcast, and hopefully, here soon, we have you on again for um, whatever the next project may be. Hopefully, it's a new Night Ranger album or a Jack Blade solo album, or or a Bengals Eagles Super Bowl. <laughs> could be. Um, or maybe he's still a Chargers fan. Maybe I don't know, but uh, yeah. as long as the Bengals are there, we don't care. Um, but hey, man, thank you for joining us, right. and definitely we hope to see you again. Thank you, guys. Good talking to you. Good seeing you both. Thank you, sir.